0: So, this is the week of Yom Yerushalayim. Speak this week a little bit about the various facets of Yerushalayim. I'll post a, a series I did for YU Tara a couple of years ago about 40 facets if you really want to spend time going through all 40. But I'll just try to highlight those that are relevant or most relevant and certainly those that have overlapped with what we're currently experiencing. Um, I'm talking about a lot of different things in the past couple of days or weeks. I've, I've duplicated uh, this two or four or five minute Chizek with some of my. Facebook posts, but i probably going to post different different ideas and different concepts to each, so if you 're interested in really getting into your a lot of our gullus is about not feeling our like karish Hu's presence, Hester upon him, a world that doesn 't make sense, a world without cause and effect, a world in which the Jewish people suffer, the righteous people suffer the wicked reign, the wicked rise and uh, and Haster Esther upon karish Hu hides his place, and we just read about it in yesterday 's Parsha. But the recognition that Hashem still there. We just don't see Him, we don't understand Him. And in some ways, as the ge'ula gets closer and gets more intense, then that whole concept and that whole experience becomes even more acute, that we feel Hashem in 1967, and then tater, the expectations rise to sense His presence even more, and then we're frustrated when that presence is less discernible and less palpable. And the classic image of Hashem there, but unseen... Is the Passock of Meitzis Min HaCharakim, Makarish Baruch, who is peering out, out at us from behind the cracks. It's a Passock in Shir HaShirim, Domadon di Litzvi, Olofa Yelaminezo made, we all say it during Kiddushavano, Achar Koslenu, Majgiach Minachalonos Meitzis Minacharakim. The imagery of the Pasak is behind the wall, looking through the windows, peering through the cracks, and of course in the Shir HaShirim story it makes a lot of sense because the Dod, the male, HaKadosh is in a palace and somehow the the woman can't get into the palace and is left outside of the palace, but he's behind the walls or behind the windows. Now, that word in particular, Omed Archa Karslenu, is a double entendre. It means with behind the walls and the windows and the cracks of history. So Hashem is there. We just have a hard time seeing him. He sees us. We can see him if we look through the cracks, if we look carefully through the windows. And of course, in a more allegoric sense, even more than historical sense, it's the Karsleinu it departed from line, but kept Chazal say kept the Shechina behind the Kotel and Harabayis, the entire the entire base Hamikdash area, and especially according to the Rambam, this has halachic application that even though the halachic kedusha of Eretz Yisrael doesn't exist because it expired when the Jews left, there's a unique kedusha to Har that a Kedush Baruch is always there, which of course invites the possibility of bringing korbanos, even without a base Hamikdash, a famous 19th century debate. But there's another image, and it's an image in the Medrash, and it suggests something very different about Hashem still being there, and I want to try to separate or cl- cleave between those two imageries. It's a fascinating, in some ways, even a provocative, very thought-provoking Medrash. It's based on a pasuk in Yeshaya, again, a very famous, well-known pasach, Hisnari me'afar kumi shavi Rise up from the dust. Arise, those people who have been taken captive from Yushalayim and return to your homeland. And this is of course, one of the stanzas in the Chabad is "Darim and in the Chabad, it's not just arising from the dust, but in the Chabad, it's actually putting on regal clothing. Again, the pasuk is rising in is "Rise from the dust, return; Hashem has removed your chains." His In the Chabad, it becomes a little bit more resplendent. Throw away the dust and put on your beautiful clothing. So, the simple reading of the pasuk refers to Am Yisrael in their dust-like stage. And certainly in a 1967 context, those who follow the history, they, the Jordanians really demolished, in particular, the old city of Yishalayim. The Chor Vishul probably is the most visible symbol. But all the areas were turned into ruins, or in some cases worse, stables for horses, or, or sewage areas, storage areas. So we came back to the old city. We found the old city literally in dust and just watching the restoration of the old city and through it all of Yishalayim and the luster and the beauty and the resplendence is very evocative of this pasik in Yeshaya. That's the literal meaning of the Pasik. The Medrash in Shir Hashirim says something a little different. Quotes a pasuk in Zechariah, about HaKadosh Baruch awakening and punishing, haskol basar, all the fear that people will sense from Hashem's arrival. So now, the Medrash is now applying this pasuk of arising from the dust, not to the Jewish people, but, and this is a very, very aspiring Medrash, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Am a very, very interesting Medrash, Kehada Tarnagota. It's like a chicken. gafa migava katma. I'm trying to read the language, because otherwise, if this weren't the matter, it would be hard for me to even say these words. A chicken that arises and flaps its wings and removes all the dust from its wings. So that's an image that everyone can imagine. Close your eyes for a second. Imagine a chicken flapping its wings. Now, this is a very, very different read of the Pesach. In Yeshaya, it's not about the Jewish people removing the dust, which makes for a fine allegory. Putting on different clothing, the way that L'chadolli takes it by Hakadosh Baruch Hu being removing dust and removing dust like a chicken that removes its dust. Well, part of it is it's very quick. Chicken doesn't have to slowly. Other types of animals, it's more laborious. Removing the flies, you're removing the dust. chickens, one or two flaps, and all and all the dust disappears. But it's probably the last image you'd expect of Hakadosh Baruch Hu's re-entering history. Part of the answer, and it's a, like I said, it's a very profound matter. You have to spend a lot of time thinking about it, carefully trying to dissect it. Part of it is that the chicken was always in your backyard. And it was covered by dust, so you may not have paid enough attention to it. And in this respect, the relationship we've had with our Kodesh Baruch, even though it's been hard to discern it for so many years in the flow of history, and the kosel in particular, and the coastal imagery in general, Hashem's right behind the wall, always there. This is a more powerful statement. Not only has Hashem been there behind a wall, and a wall you have to scale, a wall you have to peer through, a wall you have to try to discern. He's literally been in our backyard. Chicken is in your backyard. You may not have thought of it in those ways. may have been covered with dust. may have been camouflaged. It may have been something you've neglected. But it's been there. And of course, the dust is the dust that we've created. It's not, it's not just distance. In the other medrash, HaKadosh Baruch Hu flees, or HaKadosh Baruch Hu departs Yishalayim and lodges behind the wall. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes a decision. Of course, we force his hand because of our rebelliousness, because of our disloyalty and betrayals. But here, who creates the dust? The human beings in the home create the dust with all their activity, and that dust settles on the chickens. So part of the inability to... Interact with that chicken is has been not just because Akadosh Baruch Hu made a decision which we triggered, but our behavior has covered the chicken with dust. And Akadosh Baruch Hu makes a decision at some point in history, and we feel that decision happened 52 years ago, 53 years ago, to flap the wings, remove the dust, and restore his people to Eishalayim. So it's like it's almost if like there are tandem imagery: the imagery of Hashem behind the wall makes us minacharakim, and the imagery of Akadosh is a chicken in the backyard being covered with dust. And again, Kahada Tarnagolta, This is a medrash and Shir Hashirim, Rabbah, Parsha Dalid, Rav Kahada The minaragafamik kava kitma, and we resolved in 1967 to the flapping of the chicken and the peering through the wall. We'll talk about Yishai and Mirzahem the rest of this week, both here as well as in the um,
1: daily posts or in social media, the video posts. So this week is Yom Yushalayim, We're discussing the role of Yushalayim in the redemptive imagination of the Jewish people throughout history.
0: Three letters capture them all. I want to talk about three letters very briefly. A letter written oh about 500 years, 500 BC, 550 BC. A letter written about 150, 200 CE, and a letter written about 100 years ago. There's terrible, terrifying, not terrible, terrifying masara that the German Jews, Jews moved to Germany after the first base Besamekta Shorba, which is incredible to imagine. We think most of the Jews ended up in Babel. We have reports that some ended up in Yemen, maybe some in Italy, but the Jews moved all the way to Germany, small group. Ezra invites all the Jews to come back, and unfortunately, sadly, most Jews don't, and that's why the second Besamekta was faded to never get any tread or traction. But it's one thing not to come back, but evidently the Jews of Germany tell Ezra, you go back to Yerushalayim and we'll stay in Germany, which is our Yerushalayim, or mini Yerushalayim. And the Masara goes, it's a very harsh Masara, it's from the Sma, that because of that response, German Jews would always suffer disproportionate to other Jewish communities, because it's one thing not to live in Israel, it's one thing not to make it back, and there's all sorts of complications, but it's quite another thing to use the term Yushalayim about any other city, aside from Yushalayim. Like I said, a very fearsome Masara, but it reminds us about Yushalayim's role in maintaining that alternate almost compartment of of human imagination. We live wherever we live, we make peace with it, we embrace it, we we strive, but we always know we belong somewhere else. And part of reminding ourselves we belong somewhere else is that word can't be used about anywhere other than the alternate place we're meant to be and that we one day will be. Then there's another letter. It's hard to know when it's written. It's in the Yishami. Yishami quotes it about the people of Yishalayim after the Roman destruction who write a letter to the jewish community of alexandria and just to understand the the, the understanding the um what I'm, looking for. I'm the proportions how many jews lived in ushalaim after the roman destruction when this was happening you know, everyone had to move out of ushalaim you all moved either up to Kisari, up, up north like most of the Chazal moved or you moved to Caesarea, where where the, the seat of the roman uh, uh, commerce was not it was brutal to live in Yishlahim after the Roman conquest. Even Rabbi Danassi was friendly with the Romans, lived up north in Tiberia, and yet they wrote a letter. It's quoted by the and Khagiga. They wrote a letter from Yishlahim Hagidolat to Alexandria Haktana, from the big city of Yishlahim to the small city of Alexandria. Now, if you're an innocent bystander listening to this letter, the big city of Yishlahim, the small—this is ridiculous. How many Jews lived in Yishlahim? Alexandria was this hustling, bustling cultural center with. But people know that we just don't look at the reality unfolding in front of our eyes. We live a more historical reality and Yishalayim is the center of the earth where history began history will end. And the letter reflected their Jewish redemptive imagination. There was a letter a hundred years ago where Merah of Devinsk, the great Meshachach, was in the great port city of Devinsk. Hustle-Bustle City was invited by the Jews of Yishalayim. The Ashkenazi community. How many Ashkenazim lived in Yishalayim at the turn of the century? Not many it was very hard to live in Yishalayim it was even harder if you were in Ashkenazi because for centuries or for hundreds and dozens of years it had been a ban which was only slowly removed in the beginning of the 19th century of Ashkenazi Jews there wasn't as established a community as a Sephardic community in Yushalayim. and what's interesting is not just that the Meshachach declined the offer but the people of Davinsk wrote a very angry annoyed letter like what were you thinking, what was on your mind how would anyone in his right mind want to leave Devinsk and be a rabbi in Yushalayim for Ashkenazim? And how's 120 years after that letter, more or less, and just where's Devinsk and where's Yushalayim? So we're celebrating the return, not just of a city, but the return of a city that has served as an anchor against settling, against settling in. Jews embrace, but we don't settle. Jews uh, adopt and advance, but we don't. We don't put up our tents. We'll put up our tents, but we don't stick those those
1: foundations or those pegs too far into the ground. So we'll talk a little bit more this week about Yom Yushalayim. So well, let's talk a little bit about the name Yushalayim, because it's the city we're celebrating and our return to the city. What does the name Yushalayim mean? What are its origins? So it's a hybrid. And in this case, a hybrid isn't just an accidental conjugation of two different names, but two very, very different views of Yushalayim, two very different views of religion, two very different views of encountering Hashem that have to be conjugated. Yushalayim is a conjugation or merging of the first name, Shalem. Shalem was a city. And that city had attracted a community of religiously minded people. And those religiously-minded people were searching for perfection, improvement, a better world. They called their city Shalem. And they had a sense that human experience could be approved through religion. So they had a priest king. And their priest king was called Malki Tzedek Melech Shalem. And we meet this community in Parshas Lech Lecha when Avram is returning from his triumph over the kings in that terrible battle. So his name is Tzedek, because he wants to do the right thing. He wants to create a city of justice. And in the context of Bracius, that's no small feat. Because in Bracius, a lot of people are murderers. A lot of people are rebellious. A lot of people are betraying. And Finally, humanity gets it right. He's a king of tzedek. He's a kohen. He's a priest king and they call the name of the city Shelly. So things are starting to move in a very, very religious direction. And that's why Avram halts and stops and sojourns, and it sounds like Avram even gives a maister. It's unclear who gives tithes to whom, but the simple reading of the Pasuk is that Mark greets Avram with water and food and wine and food and returning from battle, because he's Mark that's what you do in this moral city, as opposed to, their neighbors down south in stone. And um, Avram recognizes his holy man, and he doesn't just deliver tithes as to some toll or bribe, but he's accrediting their accomplishments. Why does the Torah report this story? Why are we interested? Avram stopped in many locations. He didn't get on trains to go back from the war. Getting home from the war took him days, if not weeks. I'm sure he sojourn in various inns and locations. Why is it important? Because, of course, this is Yerushalayim, one day be Yerushalayim. And this encounter with Malkit Tzedek is the passing of the baton. because Avraham will come back to that mountain, not in Parshas Lech but in Parshas Bayera. And at that point, it's not clear whether Malkit Tzedek still lives there or not. Maybe Malkit Tzedek lived in the city, and Avraham went to the mountain, the al But from Avram's standpoint, the al is going to be a second trip back. And at the al Avram's going to add a second word to Yerushalayim. Or to Shalim. It's not going to be a second word. It's going to be a filler. It's going to fill out what religion is meant to be because religion can't just be Shalim, looking for perfection. How do you look for perfection? You don't just try to think of tzedek and morality and improving and being kind. You encounter Hashem and you submit to his will. And sometimes that will will be understandable to you, and oftentimes that will won't be understandable to you. And the paradigm of Hashem's indecipherable will is the Akeda, because there's no way to understand sacrificing your son. It's beyond human comprehension, beyond any definition of morality. So, drags Avram back up to the mountain and says, okay, humanity has built a religious city on this site, and they've called it Shalim. They have religion, and they have priests, and looking for justice, and for righteousness, and for morality, and for ethics. It has to start with the encounter with Hashem. And that encounter won't always be understandable to you. And the end of the Akedah is, Baha Hashem Yehra'eh seeing Hashem, being seen by Hashem, the rendezvous with Hashem. And at that point, the name of Yerushalayim is crystallized. If you see Hashem, not optically, but if you encounter Hashem and you're in the presence of Hashem and you accept Hashem's will, even when you can't understand it. And certainly when you can't understand it, because the source of morality is not a human instinct, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will. And at some level, which we just can't understand, it was really the moral thing to do to sacrifice Yitzchak. It was moral. Sometimes you just don't understand. It was moral to eliminate a because we could, and I could send you back into history with a gun in your hand and tell you you're going to walk down a street in Vienna in 1920 and you'll meet someone walking down the street named Adolf Hitler who was a young up-and-coming political activist. The moral act would be to pull the trigger if you know, it's hypothetical, you can't know, but if you knew, you could save hundreds of millions of lives and countless suffering, countless bloodshed. So we don't always know and we have to follow our own moral instincts. And of course, 99% of the time, the Torah's directives overlap with human instincts. We don't cheat. We don't steal. We don't lie. We don't, but even when they seem to diverge and deviate we don't know we have to follow our instincts obviously it's a much larger conversation but we're facing a similar similar situation today where people who are healthy normal moral people in society feel a strong urge for similar sex relationships and it's in no way seen as at least the way science has proven today, anything deviant, or just at least the scientific knowledge that we have available now says it's genetic and it's a certain percentage. And yet, as much as science proves it, and it seems like human convention, homosexual behavior is usher. Hashem says it's usher and it must be. Now, this unleashes a whole can of worms. Well, then, how do we understand Hashem? How could he? at least seem to create people that have a predilection for behavior which is forbidden. And I know the answer to that question. But it starts with, you don't question a Kodesh Baruch Hu's will. And it ends with, and you also don't mistreat anyone who has that inclination because they're not miscreants or recreants. They're just normal people like you and me who have those inclinations. At least the science of 2020 has indicated to us that they're totally, totally inborn. And we have to follow the science of 2020, not in validating behavior, but in terms of understanding that people are living with a tremendous, tremendous challenge in say and that, you know, for for all for the luck of the cards, it could have been us. It could have been someone else, someone you know. So that's that's the arcade of the 21st century. You're able to stand at Haramuria and not understand Hashem's will, but fulfill Hashem's will, but certainly not at the cost of dehumanizing anyone else. getting back to our conversation, that's what Yushalayim means. It's a place beyond, and you encounter Hashem, beyond the human realm. Remember the Six-Day War. What does that even mean? Wars are fought over months. Wars are fought over years. Even quick wars. What does it mean for all of history to shift in six days? It's called the Six-Day War. I think six-day war was over a pond in Muscle Bay, you know. <laughs> it takes six days to capture the pond. It wasn't Muscle Bay. It was... The entire world shifted because it was supernatural and the timelines are all off. That's why it took six days to remind us this is Hashem's game, this is Hashem's show. And when we stand in Yerushalayim we in Hashem's backyard and we're in the base of Lukim and we're in the Shara Hashem and that's the way to achieve perfection. And We believe that it does lend perfection. So Avraham meets Makitzedek and Lech Lecha, and Makitzedek passes the baton like in a relay race. Passes the Avraham. I've done mine. Now you do yours. I've established the foundation that religion can complete human beings, can perfect human beings. We have to find religion, just society. But now, how? Human instinct, yeah. But you also have to travel somewhere beyond human capacity, beyond human comprehension. You encounter Hashem. From returns to the mountain in Hashem's zone. He can't understand it. He submits to Hashem's will. Hashem says, okay, now you've seen me. and You've been seen by me. You'll continue to be on this mountain. And now your Shulayim's name is full. Yero Shalim. Yero Shalim. So we're, we're building up to Yom Yishalayim, there's a lot to think about, the Six Day War,
0: Yishalayim history, and so much of our thoughts of Yishalayim are religious, based on Mikdash, Karbanos, and so much of them are Messianic, returning to Yishalayim, V'lyushalayim, Ircha Barachamim Tashuv, that sometimes we forget about something much more, I wouldn't say basic, but something a little bit less Messianic, I would say although it has messianic undertones as well. Yerushalayim is referred to in Tanakh, in Tehillim Kuf is Beis, as Ir perhaps one of the most famous, if not the most famous, to Russia about Yerushalayim, Yeshua Malevi says, I nasa everyone becomes friendly. Well, a lot of you have been in Yerushalayim, not everyone is so friendly in Yerushalayim, bus drivers aren't always friendly. People, the drivers aren't always so friendly, so it's obviously it's not friendliness, but it's integration, it's solidarity, it's association. And there's something about Yushalayim that has a kinetic draw, even on Jews, for whom base Hamikdash, Karbanos, Torah, Davening, all the associations that we as Orthodox, religious Jews, typically draw to Yushalayim, those associations, they don't mean much to some of the other types of Jews, especially in Israel, but across the world. But something about Yushalayim, the legacy, the past, the promise, the the iconic meaning of Yushalayim, that just captures people's imagination, that magnetizes them. I wrote wrote an article in one of the newspapers called The City of Magnets. And it came to the surface in 67, those images of soldiers at the Kosovo, those iconic images, and the shofar blowing, there was a a religious revival, a religious resurgence. And you can't just measure the resurgence of religion in the wake of 67 based on how many more people are putting on tefillin and keeping kashras because it's not all or nothing and because there's no question that today's Israel is a far more traditional environment and it's expressed politically and it's expressed in so many ways. I was just watching with my wife the other night and we tried to spend some time together watching. Then it was just a because our days are just so rushed, and now she's working, and I'm working, plus we're running the home. There's about a famous um, radio personality in Israel. Not, I wasn't really aware of her. The husband's a radio personality. Is she a radio person? I don't think so. But she's becoming more well-known because, unfortunately, she's stricken with cancer, and she's led a valiant, valiant battle, a very public battle, been supporting people who have cancer. She's uh, sharing it on, on very social media. So there was a documentary about her, and just... She's not from, her husband is not from It's almost a typical, I believe that they're Sephardic and it's more, it's more potent in the Sephardic world. That even people that don't keep halacha and Mishneh or Kafah or, there's just so, so much religion to them just being about Hashem and the Nisayon and Hashem will take care. It's just You felt like you were dealing with a Jewish religious person obviously without the formal institutional halacha which is so important to full avodas Hashem. And you have so much that's in Israel, it's called Maserati, and of course on the extremes you have people who aren't religious, and you have people who are anti-religious, and you have it outside of Israel as well, people who feel deeply religious, but either have, have dis- severed themselves from halacha, or in their minds have redefined halacha in a way that gives it a modern tonality. But it's, such a, it's certainly in Israel it's such a more religious environment than it was before 67. Think of it this way. The two major visits of Yerushalayim in Sefer Breches. Of course, Avram visits Malkit Tzedek, Melch Shalim, but the two Yerushalayim visits are Avram and Moriah in the Akedah, in the Vayera, and Yaakov running in Vayetze. And there are three elements that characterize Yaakov's second visit, and those are the elements which I think capture Yerushalayim as it pertains to non-religious Jews. We're not orthodox we're not halachic practicing Jews. Number one, Yaakov's not aware He's not aware. There's something about the Duravishum they're not aware. They can't articulate it. But 67, the Kotel, Ushalai, it, it it captures their soul. Number two, he's not there to bring a carbon. He's not there in a religious or an overtly religious moment to submit to the will of Hashem. He's there basically looking for protection and for so many people that sense that Hashem is protecting us in this land and steering Jewish history and protecting our soldiers it's when you don't have the 613 and the, the thousands of blood and the, and the, there's so many ways in which religious people can interface with Hashem but for non-religious people a lot of it has to do with protection and the third part is there's a strong sense of legacy in the past. Afram, of course, has no legacy because no one has been to them now. And Yaakov at some point becomes aware that it's based on the Kim, the Cherish of Mayim. Rashi says, Esher she'elech, He's aware that it's a place that has been visited by his parents, and because of that, his grandfather, it has meaning.
1: It's Yaakov's visit which I think profiles the draw of Yushalayim for non-religious Jews. Anyway, so we're, we're building up to Yom Yishalayim,
0: and there's an interesting standoff between David HaMelech and the Yevusim. The Yevusim are in Yerushalayim, and there are some statues there of lame people and of blind people, and somehow this thwarts David HaMelech's attempts or it hinders his attempt to settle Yushalayim, and David HaMelech makes an announcement. This all goes down in Shmuel Bey's parakel, so if you can take a look there. Whoever will enter the Migdal, the tower, and defeat and take the tower from the blind people on the lame people, then he'll be rewarded. And who are the blind people? Who are the lame people? And how are they hindering or, or preventing the Jews from settling Yerushalayim? So the Medrash expounds on this. The Medrash says that a long time before David ever reached Yerushalayim, our ancestor Avram had to barter Yerushalayim for Eretz Yisrael. The first city that the Jewish people essentially settled is Be'er Sheva. Avram and Elimelech, and Avram and Avimelech, excuse me, and Yitzchak and Avimelech, and in Parsh's Vayera, and then ultimately in Parsh's Toldos. It's a long process. And Avimelech, who lives on the coast and evidently lives near Beersheba, cedes Beersheva to Avram, or at least gives him rights to live there and to dig the wells ultimately in Parsh's Toldos, as long as Avraham is willing to take an oath. What's the oath? That's why it's called Beersheba, in part because of the oath, the Shvuach, Yisham Nishbu, Shnehem. It's also in, called Beersheba because Avram's oath says that for seven generations, Yushalayim won't be settled by Jews. Seven generations, window, seven generations, Jews can't live in Yushalayim. And that's the ticket, that's the price for being granted land in Israel for settling Eretz Israel. And now this is coming to a head. It's about seven generations later. So you're basically counting off seven generations without being too careful about the math. And now there's a standstill in whether the oath was still in force, whether it wasn't in force. Again, this is this is the content of this dispute and confrontation between David and the Yevusim, and the Yevusim who, at some level, were descendants of Avimelech maybe the same Yevusim who were indigenous to Canaan, maybe a different Yevusi, hard to know, but these Yevusim had placed these statues of blind people and lame people at the gates of the fortress to remind the Jews that they couldn't encroach, and they put these little scrolls in their mouths, and on the scrolls were written the content of the Shavuah. So it's a very fabled story, a very interesting story. Uh, what, what does it mean for us? Evidently, and of course history is cyclical, evidently Settling Yerushalayim is a lot harder than settling Israel proper. So it was then, and so it is now. But it's more than that. It's almost as if you can't do each at the same time, simultaneously. First, Israel has to be settled. And then Yerushalayim is the climax, is the crescendo, is the the culmination. Until we're ready, we can't settle Yerushalayim. Until seven generations pass... So this is presented by the Medrash, or presented by the Torah, alluding to the Medrash, as if it's an international opposition, and we have to wait seven generations until the oath we took to Avi Melech expires. But all these politics and oaths and agreements—they're just facades. There's something deeper. They're, they're, they're reflective. They're metaphors. That the Jews have to be in Israel. They've got to settle and establish themselves and settle the land, and not just the land geographically, but Construct a society of, of Torah, of religion, of ethics, of morality, of equality, of fairness, of well being, and then, and only then, can they step into Yushalayim. And it'll take them seven generations, and in, in, in order to maintain this distance so that the land can be settled and can be purified, and then Yushalayim entered. So there's this oath taken to Avimelech, and so it was then, and so it is today, in a very real sense, essentially 1948 was. Avimelech Part 2, which we see there it's Israel, but the price was Yerushalayim, whether it was the price at the UN or the price of the armistice after the Independence War. So history is a cycle, and what happened before tends to resurface and rebound and surge again. Baruch Hashem, we didn't have to wait seven generations. We had to wait 19 years between 1948 and I've returned to Yushalayim, the process isn't complete, we still face opposition, but Yushalayim isn't gimme. you would think we'd settle Yushalayim first and radiate from Yushalayim the message of this story in small is No, Yushalayim is the conclusion of a process, and the process could take generations,
1: thank God we've started the process and it only took us 19 years to launch that process. So, I took a little break from the base medrash. Thank God it's great to be
0: there, but I'm sitting at a table behind very, very rugged plastic and with a face mask on. So, when they get outside a little bit, you may hear some birds chirping. Talk a little bit about an interesting nickname for Yushalayim that most people are not really aware of. We know of so many of the nicknames Ariel and Sion and Yushalayim and uh, uh, Migdal David or Ir David and there's a once, it's only used once in Tanakh it's used by Shmuel when he's instructing Shaul to return home and he tells him he's going to meet some people at a place called Tzel Tzach if you look at it, it's in Shmuel, Olive Perek Yud Tzel Tzach Rashi says this refers to Yushalayim why is Yushalayim referred to as Tzel Tzach so Rashi says the word Tzel Tzach is a conjugation of two words, tzel, shade, coverage, tzach, clear, white, clarity. It's the place in which we are in the tzel of Hashem, who is referred to as tzach. Where is Hashem referred to as tzach? Only once in Tanakh, shir Hashirim. the woman goes looking for her male. Of course, Amisil is looking for Hashem. The woman meets the daughters of Yushalayim. The daughters of Yishalayim, Benos Yishalayim, asks the female, tell us a little bit about this male that you see. It could be, it's also not, just tell us why you love him so much, why you're pursuing him so much. And the female responds, Dodi tzach d'agul my male, my daughter, my, my husband, is white and ruddy. Tzach, tzach is transparent. Because Hashem is referred to as Tzach, by the by Am yisrael in the allegory of Shirashiram, yushalayim which is the location of our Baruch, who is referred to as tzal tzach in shmuel aleph what does this mean about yushalayim okay so now that we've uncorked it and unpacked it we know exactly what tzal tzach means and why it means what does this tell us about yushalayim and to a degree why does shmuel employ this once appearing of this very strange phrase that, that doesn't appear anywhere else well sale means protection in the day of, of, of vengeance or in a day of apocalypse but in it also means intimacy but I want to be in your shade I want to be in your penumbra I want to be in, in your closeness and and Yushalayim is certainly a place in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence and closeness is felt most deeply but it's more than that it's more than closeness and presence and depth and intensity it's intimacy, it's comfort, it's familiarity in, in the whole story of Shir Hashirim there, there's a level of comfort obviously that the woman is looking to feel with this male and you could say that that's part of the drama that drives Shir Hashirim that on the one hand we want to feel close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and intimate and comfortable and relaxed. On the other hand, Hashem is so different from us and Hashem is so beyond us. And as much as the woman and the male and Sheh Hashem want to connect, it's just very different. They live in different places, have different frames of references. And it's a, it's a metaphor for how different we are from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And And in general, our interaction with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is driven by those two opposite poles. But in Yerushalayim... We're allowed to let down our guard a little bit. In Yushalayim, the balance between Yirash and Ahavas Hashem, between the fear and the distance. So, for example, when Moshe Rabbeinu was standing at the sna, it's a total moment of submission in Yirash It's a total moment of, don't get close. And Moshe covers his eyes and take off your shoes. And similarly in Harsinai, when Moshe Rabbeinu can't see anything of HaKadosh Baruch when he has to be concealed by a rock. In Yushalayim, it's a little different. Of course, it's Yushalayim. Of course, it's based on and Of course, you can't walk in with your shoes. You can't walk in in ways that are disrespectful. And they claim going guttural, can't even walk into the Kodesh Akadoshim once a year. Certainly, but in Yushalayim in general, there's a sense of Lephnei Hashem. So you're standing in front of Hashem. You're eating your food in front of Hashem. You're sleeping with your family in front of Hashem. Just that you're in the presence of a Kodesh Baruch Hu in ways that don't demand... Yerushalayim, there there, there are very few halachos in Yerushalayim that you have to live in awe, because you can't keep up on. Based on this, perhaps, but you eat, you sleep, you can die. There are some takanos about how Yerushalayim must be respected, and that's why Yerushalayim is called Tzel, shade, based on the role of shade in Shir Hashirim, and Tzach, based on first of all the word Tzach means clarity, accessibility visibility, something which is white and clear. And of course, in the context of Shira Shiren, the word tzach refers to a love affair between our Kurdish baruch Hu and his people. And that's why Shmuel uses the word seltzach when Malchus is about to be launched, because the goal is to create Shalim as a capital, not just the base of Mikdash, but the capital city of the Jewish people. So the word tzeltzach means that Yushalim gives us the chance to be in front of a Kurdish baruch. Hu, but in an intimate way, which we feel the closeness, the intimacy, the care, the coverage, the shade, and, and not just the fear and the awe. And so it was, in B'reish, the two trips to Yushalayim, Avram's trip to Yushalayim. Of course he doesn't understand Hashem during the Akedah, and of course it's a moment of submission. But it's also a moment of intimacy, which he talks to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and there's a comfort level, and certainly, certainly Yaakov's visit to our, Tahar Mariah to Yerushalayim is one of feeling Hashem's protective covering and feeling HaKadosh Baruch Hu's tzel Tzach. Now when we returned to Yerushalayim 53 years ago, I think that our return to this Tzal Tzach reintroduced the period of Tzal Tzach. That's just the city of Tsel Tzach. In the last 53 years, we felt HaKadosh Baruch Hu's warmth and closeness and intimacy and in some ways you can say this was a recovery from a world in which it was harder to feel like Kaddosh Baruch Hu someone who lives through the Holocaust you can have a Munah but you just you just it, there's a staggering mystery that you just can't solve and Hashem seems even the people who kept their faith Ram beyond transcendent and now they return to Yishalayim created a world in which why is so more popular in this world of people that live in Israel because we really do feel I'm walking out through the campus of Gush as we speak 'cause so you need to get some air and you just feel as if you're living in the Arts Sahim in the land of Akurish Brahu, not just when you're in Yushalaim. So that's a lesser known nickname of Yushalayim, lesser than Ariel,
1: Sel Selsah. So today is Yom Yushalayim. In Israel, obviously across the globe, Jews are celebrating the return to Yom
0: And thinking about the different symbols of statehood, the renewed symbols, coin, army, government, police. Somehow, one symbol has become very deeply associated with Yom Yishalayim, and, and, and it's very visible in public under normal years. This is a recording during the 2020 coronavirus, Yom Yerushalayim, so things have been much more muted but it's the flag and there are flag parades and flag waving of course the flag is featured prominently on Yom Hatzimut as well but Yom Yushalayim has really become a flag waving ceremony as a day and a lot of people have difficulties religious people in particular with flag and we obviously feel that the flag is a representation of our country and our people and we honor it and we respect it and we love it but is a religious meaning to a flag. There's religious meaning to the land. Shemitah, Yovel. There's religious meaning to Yushalayim, Mysore Shani, Korbanos, to the base Hamikdash, uh, to, the, to, the, to the heir of a Israel, Alavir, there is Machim. So for religious people who like to stream their experiences in general and their Abbas Aretz in particular and their identification with this land, and I return to this land to religious or through religious ideas, the flag provides a bit of a barrier, a bit of a mental roadblock. And in so much so that I think a lot of people who, who do feel sympathetic with some of the ceremonies have a hard time. I mean, you've been in halachas. Is, is there meaning to a moment of silence? Is there anything? I think there's some people who during the moment of silence, particularly on Yom Hazikaron, which is when we commemorate soldiers, they'll say Tehillim because they want to be part of the Yom Hazikaron ceremonies, but... They feel that these are imported symbols that have no kedusha to them. They're looking for a source of kedusha. But don't get me wrong, I disagree, and I am quiet. I feel that kedusha doesn't just have to come from the halachic wellsprings of the past. It could be kedusha from Am Yisrael's decisions, but that's obviously a debate. So what does a flag mean to us? And it's really a perfect juxtaposition. Sometimes the historical juxtapositions or the timing chronology is just too powerful to avoid. Every year... Yom Yisholem falls out in and around Parshas Bamidbar And in and around the description of the flag So HaKadosh Baruch was definitely telling us something What what are we to make of a flag? So let's talk a little bit about flags And two aspects that flags create And for me at least When I look at the Israeli flag I feel those two aspects very, very powerfully So Let's start from Pasik and Shihar It's in Shihar Shirem um, uh, It's in Perek Zion Parag again, a lot of the drama of Shir Hashim is the relationship and the interaction between the general people who are on hand, the binos Yishalayim, the daughters of Yishalayim, the Shomri Ha'ir, the watchmen, basically these secondary characters, which at least in Chazal's mind are the umos ha'olam, eavesdropping on this interaction, this duet between the male and the female, the duet between HaKadosh Baruch and Am Yisrael, at this point, there's a lot of hostility. At some points, they'll hit us, they're, they're angry at us, at some points, they're helping us, trying to find our Kurdish Baruch. Hu. At this point, they offer the Jewish people an interesting opportunity. Shuvi, Shuvi, Ashulamis. Everyone knows this, Pussek, it's very poetic, very alliterative. Shuvi, Shuvi, Ashulamis. Shuvi, Shuvi, Venech Basically, come to us, Shulamis. The Jewish people are referred to as Shulamit, Shulamis. Come to us return to us, come to us, join us, the literal translation is, we want to see you, so we want to be part of you. There should be some optical interactions, some visuals. But Chazal have a very different interpretation. This is a medrash, of course, in Bamidbar. A lot, a lot of connections between flags, Bamidbar, and this section in Shir Hashir. Come close to us, and we'll offer you positions of leadership so when the Jewish people are being invited that not just being invited to live in a suburb of New York City they're being invited to become the mayor of New York City to become the treasurer of Spain to become the lead scientist to become the politician to become basically lead us be part of us because we recognize Shulamis, we recognize your ability, that's why the Jews refer to you as Shulamis to reach a state of better shlemos, of perfecting the world. You have a talent, you have ability, be part of us. Now, what's the response? We'll talk about the invitation in a moment. The Jewish people respond, Ma Techazeba Shulamis. What can you offer Shulamis? We're speaking in third party. Kim echolas hamachanayim, like the dance in the desert. That's <laughs> a strange response. We dance in the desert and Therefore, we're not going to accept your invitation. There's something about the desert, and the setup of the desert, the dance of the desert, the arrangement of the desert, that's too important to give up and is superior to this offer that you can't refuse. So Chazal fill in the blanks. Chazal say that, what can you possibly give us, the Jewish people, respond metaphorically to the nations? Kigedula Shasa, lokim bamidbar, like the flags that Hashem gave us in the desert. Dego Machenei Ruvein, Dego Machenei Yehuda. Can you give us flags? Okay, so this is a, a bit of a tough medrash. What makes flags so important? And, and you can give us flags. So we're refusing the offer of the Gentile nations to join them too deeply because we have flags. What, what does a flag mean? So, to understand this, you have to see a second Medrash. And now we're jumping midrashim to another Medrashim, Bamid Baraba. Chiba Baruch gave us, showed us tremendous love and affection, She'asam Digalam. Nikarim. So that we should be recognized. So finally we have a medrash that actually tells us what a flag's function is and why it's so beloved to us and why it's such a gift from HaKadosh Baruch and by extension why this offsets the offer of the nations in the medrash that describes this conversation that unfolds in Shir Hashira. Essentially, the debate is taking place as follows. The Jews have to lead the world. The Jews have a global agenda. The Jews have a historical agenda to be the vanguard of humanity. Tikkun olam. There are two ways to accomplish this. By immersing with the people we're supposed to lead or by being different from the people we're supposed to lead and inspiring them with our values and our lifestyle and our... Big question. I've spoken about it before. I don't have to speak about it. A lot of people have... How should I say? um, Maybe diluted their Jewish identity for the sake of Tikkun Olam justified, being less Jewish, maybe even visibly less Jewish maybe who knows what's going on in their hearts but of course we're meant to lead, of course we're meant to be but by being different, representing something different, calling the world to higher ground, modeling and exemplifying behavior and that's really the drama or as Tamini Chachamim would like to say the Havamin and the Maskana that's taking place in Shehashir the nation is saying, well, you're Shulamit. You're meant to take the lead. We see that now because of your relationship with the Kurdish Baruch who says just come live with us and, and lead us. And the Shulamit, the Jewish people respond and say, no, 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 I'm going to lead, but I have a flag, and a flag announces that I'm different, my own people, my own identity, my own, a flag is a very clear national marker. It's a divider, and it's also a broadcaster. You broadcast Your identity to others, not just you have a clear and sharp sense of independence, national identity, but you're broadcasting it to others. Anytime I see the Israeli flag in a foreign context, like the Olympics, in a foreign airport, I start crying because that's me. That represents me, and uh, people are taking notice. So the discussion in Sheer Shim is how should the Jewish people lead the world? And the Suggestion of the Yom is by joining us and the response of the Jewish people based on what happens in Bamidbar is, well, we have a flag and we're meant to lead by our flags but by our differences in our national identity not by collapsing that national identity or emerging it. And when you think about the Jewish ability to lead the world by being different, of course we we're always different and different, halacha and different identity and different But so much of our leadership of the world could only be realized by the invitation until 1948 and 67 by that suggestion of the Umar well, come join us and be our viziers and be our secretaries of state and be our treasurers and be our doctors and be our scientists and be our writers and our novelists and our artists and live in Prague and live in... Moscow and live in Washington and and lead us that way. And then all of a sudden, now we have our flag and our homeland and our peoplehood and our difference. And now what are the Jewish people, what type of land are they building, what type of society are they building, what type of messages are they sending, what type of comments do they have about human experience? And that's what I see in a flag. Now we have the ability to be Kim we had it then and we had the, the, it never was interrupted we always had ways to express it but it was less discernible let's face it we know as religious people that every time we perform a mitzvah and every time that we daven every, we're making a statement about how different we are but the world didn't notice it and if you give value to how people respond to Jewish experience well then the flag makes a big difference and that's the first value of a flag the first element of a flag The second element of the flag is not about the nations of the world as much as it is our relationship with Hashem. And to understand this, you have to see at a third medrash, a lot of midrash in here. And that medrash describes what happened at Harsinai. At Harsinai, HaKadosh Baruch Hu descended to this world with 200,000 angels. It's hard to know how many. And they all have flags. This is based on the Passock in Shir Shirim. Dagul me Revava. is a reference in, in Tanakh according to the Chazal, to the tens of thousands of angels that accompanied Hashem Taharzina, angels swirling. But then to this matter, also Sun Ba Kivan Shirao Osan Yisrael, you know, seeing Degalim Degalim. So now that they saw these flags, they said, well, we want flags also. His is mis Avim le so Hashem says, "Oh, you want the I'll fulfill your wish. I'll give you the golem. And then there's a pasuk, another pasuk in Tehillim, "Haviyani al beis hayayin, v'diglo al He Brought us to the to the cellar of wine, which is a reference for Har and he provided flags. So this seems to be a very, very different meaning of, of flags. It's not about the nations of the world, based on that, Pasuk and Cheresh, and we had the Mecholas and machanaim. we have our own flags, the dance in the desert. This is about the role of flags for Malachim. Flag represents association. If you associate with the flag, you associate with what the flag represents. Not just a broadcast, not just a marker, it's an association. So, why, is there, why do people shouldn't disrespect the flag? It's, it's a piece of cloth. It's because by disrespecting the flag, burning the flag, you're you're insulting the nation, you're, you're, you're associated with something. The malachim are, well, they're associated with Hashem, they're the extension of Hashem's will, they have no freedom of choice, they're not autonomous as human beings are, so a malachim, when malachim speak in Tanakh, they're speaking presumably in the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. they don't have free will, so, the malachim that speak to Moshe, the malachim malach speaks to Moshe, the malachim speaks to Abraham Maria, they're conveying HaKadosh Baruch Hu's information. When we saw the malachim with flags, it hit us. Well, they're carrying flags, and those flags represent our Kodesh Baruch Hu. And, and we wanted those flags. We wanted flags so that our relationship with Hashem can change from Avadim, Banim, everything that we had before Karsinai, before receiving His will. Now we want an even deeper, more intimate relationship that we, by holding a flag, represent Him. And this is conveyed by a pasuk we recite every day, which hopefully now will have a little bit of different meaning. It's, of course, in Tehillim Parachaf. It's the section that we know as Lam Nazach, HaShem, very well known Parachintilim, but that happens to be Tehillim There's the word. In the name of Hashem, we raise the flag, Nidgol, Gol. Once we are Nidgol and we have that flag that represents Hashem and our experience represents him more directly. We're not just accepting his will, we're not just his children, we're not just his chosen, but our fate is his fate. In this world, what happens to Jews reflects on Hashem. And because of that association of Hashem alokino nidgol, the first part of the process is a very strange language. It's not about our Savior. It's Hakadosh Baruch Yeshua. The language of this fourth medrash, Yisrael When we're redeemed, he's redeemed. The name of Hashem increases and augments in the world. Masha Lanu This all the language of Chazal in the medrash. It's the parsha base. If you want to look at the medrash, and that's the second part that a flag changes. And I think that's the second part that changed. When Jews are dormant in history, Hashem is invisible, not invisible, but he's less visible, and he's concealed and camouflaged for 2,000 years. It was really hard to find a Kodesh Baruch Hu in this world, and especially during that 1,000-year period of feudalism and human misery and suffering. and just, It's a really dark world. And strange religions emerged. Some were less strange, some were closer to monotheism, because it was just a 2,000-year tunnel where the Jewish people were concealed and HaKadosh Baruch's presence was deeply camouflaged. Then all of a sudden the world starts waking up and I see 1948 and 67 as a culmination of the world waking up and science and reason and ration and modernity and then the culmination of that is that Hashem's people wake up, they return to their land, they raise their flag and now Hashem is more present in our world than he ever was because our flag... And we mm-hmm. hoist, represents him. As that Pasuk in and so proudly announces, In the name of Hashem, we raise the flag. So when I, and I'm sure a lot of people don't feel this, because I'm, I'm obviously overlaying it, but I'm overlaying it based on Chazals, that's what I see in an Israeli flag. I see a national marker. I see the ability for Jews to lead by their differences that could be broadcast to others. Um, it's hard to know where this lands, but I keep saying I'm very, I don't want to use the word intrigue because that, that sounds a little trivializing. But to the degree that Israel will manage the pandemic and maybe even provide medical solutions and technological solutions to help resolve the pandemic, I think this is a major part of the historical Jewish appearance on the world stage based on the return to Israel. Again, it's hard to know. And most importantly is that people should be healthy because we care about human lives and not whether the Jewish nation we want Hashem to provide a solution for humanity. And then the second part is not just what the flag means to, to others, but what it means in our relationship with Hashem. It's more metaphysical. Just like the Malachan hoisted flags at Sinai. Am Yisrael wanted flags, received flags, and at that point, Rishem and, Lokenu, and goal, once we had flags, we were Rishem Elokeinu, therefore, became apparent that our ark represents the ark in the presence of our Kaddish Baruch